With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Rod Serling. You're listening to The Zero Hour. Rest your eyes. Exercise your imagination. This week, Charles Larson's inside story of television murder. Someone's death. Starring George Kennedy. Joyce Boulefant. And Robert Reed. In Elliot Lewis's production of The Zero Hour. Mutual Broadcasting System presents The Zero Hour. Sponsored in part by the makers of B8 Juice, the makers of Wrigley Chewing Gum and Beechnut Chewing Tobacco. This is The Zero Hour on Mutual Radio. Just when we are safest... There's a sunset touch, a fancy from a flower bell, someone's death, a chorus ending from Euripides. Robert Browning on Men and Women. For television producer Nils Frederick Blixen, someone's death was prologue to a show unwritten. He cast himself in the hero's role. His youthful casting director, Joanna Redfern, his leading lady. But somebody is not following the script. A second someone's death has been written in. Nor is Joanna Redfern playing her part as she should. The heroine is not supposed to be found at the scene of the crime with blood on her hands. For Nils Frederick Blixen, life behind the camera was never this frustrating. But that's the difference between fiction and fact. And the fact remains. Someone's death was murder. 
Our story continues after this word. I was in South Korea with the Peace Corps. We were the first rural health program in Korea. Uh, what a lot of us did was to go around and check to see if there was a TB patient in the house. A lot of these people had never, ever had any kind of medical attention at all. I, I, I remember um, one case. She was in pain. She was in real pain. And the doctor examined her and became very concerned. And he told us later that had she not come in, she would have died. I was very, very proud. You know, but um, you, you've probably heard this, and you'll hear it again and again from volunteers. The volunteer himself gets more out of it than he actually gives to, to the people who's supposed to be helping. Volunteer for the Peace Corps. The Peace Corps is one part of action. Action is doing something. There is something you can do. seeing Heidi that she'd fallen asleep over her book. She'd been struck twice in the face by a sharp instrument with a long blade, probably an axe. The murderer may have been splashed, probably had been. An examination would show traces of blood in the trap under the kitchen sink where he or she had washed. No one in the fourplex had heard a sound. The murder weapon was nowhere to be seen. I stood in the doorway and watched a police car drive red away, the face in the window blurred by rain. Sergeant Ames, I want Miss Redfern's attorney notified. He has been. Did you know the child that was killed? Child. Tragic, tragic child. My God. Her grandfather get home? No, he didn't. When did this happen? We found her about ten minutes to seven. She hadn't been dead long. I know. Oh, My secretary spoke to her. Why don't you come back inside, Mr. Blitzen? In Red's apartment, Detective Ames took a statement from a pale, perspiring Rene Ortiz, who protested he knew nothing. He'd come home with a severe headache, he'd taken three aspirins, and he'd been awakened by the police at seven. I believe you have a roommate, Mr. Ortiz, a uh, Mr. Leeds. Uh, 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 oui, Bobby Leeds, oui. Where is Mr. Leeds now? I am sorry, I, I cannot tell you. He is no longer living at my place. We had a little uh, disagreement. Where does he work? No, 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 no. Bobby does not work. He is a lily of the field. Occasionally, uh, he acts. You might say uh, he is a mimic, a female impressionist. Okay, okay. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Ortez. You may go. Oh, and uh, send up the boy, Phil Waters, will you? Oui, oui. Incidentally, uh, Mr. Blixen, you said the little girl called your office tonight. Uh, at what time was that? Uh, about 6.30, I should guess. I had looked at my watch at 6.25, and my secretary said Heidi had called a little before that, and then she phoned back about 6.30. And you spoke to the child at that time? My secretary spoke to her. Uh, your secretary's name and address, Mr. Blixen? Miss Mary McGrath, 400 and a half, Willow Way, and that's in Glendale. Uh-huh. Would Miss McGrath be familiar with the little girl's voice? Absolutely. They'd spoken to each other many times. On the telephone, hmm? On and off the telephone. There's no way she could be fooled, not even by a uh, 
professional mimic like a female impersonator? Hmm. Well, my secretary certainly didn't say anything. It was Heidi's voice as far as she was concerned. And that's all I can go on. May I ask one question? Certainly. Do you have the murder weapon? Nope. Then why have you arrested Miss Redfern? Well, uh, Miss Redfern stated she arrived home at approximately 6.45. She said she noticed the Ellis door open slightly, called to Heidi, got no answer, and walked in. And we came along a few minutes later, heard someone cry out. Miss Redfern was standing over the body with blood on her hands. Schreiber picked me up the next morning to go see Red where they were holding her at the Sybil Brand facility for women. Well, in my opinion, Nils, they would have been uh, better to concentrate on tying her to the Gladstone murder. Now they have to show a connection between Gladstone and Heidi, and I, I don't think they're going to be able to do that. Is that your good news for the day? Well, it's a try. What are you dragging your heels about? Get her off the Gladstone murder. She bought a gun. Well, let him do a ballistics test on it. Nils Frederick, I'm afraid there's a bit of a hitch there. What do you mean? You see, the other day when your boss Todd had Red fired... She went home, got in her newly repaired car, drove down to the pier, and took the boat trip to Catalina. And threw the gun overboard. Yes, that's right. It's at the bottom of the ocean. Nobody will ever find it. matron who brought her in stood and gazed like a cat at a remote distance 
There was a glass wall between us, and Red's voice came to me through a phone. Like my outfit? How are they treating you? Do you need anything? Could you send me the trades? Oh, sure. They'll be lucky if Schreiber doesn't sue for false arrest before it's over. Don't tell me you two hamburgers still think I'm innocent. As the day is long. There's never a Kleenex around when you want one. How's Leonard Ellis? Leonard, I don't know. The police tell me he's been hospitalized. They found him in some bar, told him about Heidi, and he began to get severe chest pains. My poor guy. All right, I'll check into it. Red, did you notice anything out of the ordinary before you went into Ellis' apartment last night? Just the door was open. Was that usual? Well, it was never open. They're all burglar freaks. They hear them every night. There are enough locks and chains and bolts to outfit a dungeon on every door. Our time was up. The matron was approaching. I told Red I'd be back. She put her hand on the glass, palm flat, and I rested my palm on the other side against hers as though we were touching. I left the building. By the time I got back to the studio, I didn't think anything was worth too much. There was a strange secretary in my office. It took me a moment or two to remember that last night at the office, just before Jack and I had stepped out into the rain, Mary had told me she was flying out in the morning to Chicago to see her sick father. I smiled at the new secretary. She had the heat turned up and her coat over her shoulders, but none of it seemed to warm her in the least. I picked up all my messages from her desk, including one from Tibbet and Research. It read, The threatening letter, the words were cut out of Star Eyes Comics, April 15th, 1972 issue. Good man, Tibbet. I spent the next ten minutes on the phone. Good Samaritan Hospital to check on Leonard Ellis. Learned nothing, except that he was in intensive care. Hung up and got a call from Ames. Vixen? Yes. I wanted to talk to your secretary, uh, Mary McGrath, but I got somebody else. Thought I had the wrong office. Uh, where is Miss McGrath? Uh, in Chicago. Her father's sick, didn't I tell you? No, you gave me her address in Glendale, but there's no one there. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I was pretty shook up last night. I've got the number right here. Just a minute. Uh, yeah, 427-3099. I don't remember the area code. I'll get it. Thanks. I spent the day at my desk going over all of the scripts that were ready to shoot. It was five o'clock when I got another call from Sergeant Ames. We called the number you gave us in Chicago for your secretary, Miss McGrath. She wasn't there. Well, her father's very ill. She might have been at the hospital. Nope. Called a couple of her friends as well. No sign of her. So we went to the airline at L.A. here. She never got on the plane. Hey, Mr. Blixen? I'm here. I'm trying to... With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Find an explanation. She was very close to her father. She told me he was dying. Well, he passed away at noon, Chicago time. Well, I'd better notify missing persons. I hung up. 
and sat thinking about Mary and the two deaths that had already occurred. Mary? How could she be involved? Was I losing my sanity? Was there a straight line through Dan Gladstone, Heidi, Mary? Where would it end? And with whom? My daddy was a mighty fine man. He taught me a thing or two. A woman can hurt, so you stay on your guard and beach nuts the tobacco you chew. Them times we'd go fishing, my daddy and me. He'd tell me everything he ever knew. He'd go after big mouth in close to the bank and beach nuts the tobacco you chew. Around here, beach nuts the word for chewing tobacco. And it's been that way, father and son, for a long, long time. What's the secret? It's the way beech nut just keeps getting better. Like beech nut's a lot moister these days, with more taste and less stems. Big improvements. You ought to try today's beech nut chewing tobacco. And now I'm a daddy with a son who's full grown, and I tell him a thing or two. Scared money don't win, evil women drink gin, and beech nut's the tobacco you chew. The Zero Hour continues after this. Here's a tip from your Better Business Bureau. With more and more people eating poultry these days, it might be a good idea to review some basic facts on how to buy and serve poultry. First of all, remember to look for the grade shield. The highest quality is U.S. Grade A. Grade A birds are fully fleshed, meaty, and attractive in appearance. But when you bring it home, remember that all poultry is perishable. Care and cleanliness should be used in the preparation, cooking, and serving of all poultry products. Keep frozen poultry hard frozen until time to thaw, and cook it promptly after thawing. Use fresh chilled poultry within one to two days. Completely cook poultry at one time. Never partially cook, then store, and finish cooking at a later date. Leftover cooked poultry, broth, stuffing, and gravy should be separated, covered, and refrigerated. Then you'd better use it within one or two days. A consumer tip from your Better Business Bureau. Jack was parked in his usual place waiting for me, reading the late edition of the Times and looking at the legs of starlets as they passed the checkout point at the gate. Hi, Mr. Blixus. <laughs> hey, what do you hear from our girl? I saw her this morning. She'll make it. Uh, let the traffic clear a little bit, Jack. I just want to sit here for a minute. You know, my wife, Dolores, she's got it all paid. She says they're railroading Miss Redfern, and she says the kid's grandfather did it. What's she based that on? Well, for one thing, the paper said there were three or four locks on the front door, and all of them were open. And Dolores figures the kid was waiting for whoever lived there to come in. The paper said she was on the couch, so she didn't open the door herself. The locks were off, and the guy came right in. Unless he picked the locks first. Why, well, you, you can't pick a lock without making some kind of noise. Oh, but it was raining. That might have covered it. Hey, what's the matter? Don't you want the old man to be guilty? Well, something like that. Besides, he left the studio at the same time we did last night, 6.30 or thereabouts. He couldn't have gotten to the apartment, killed the girl, and split before Red arrived. But when did she... Well, about a quarter to seven. Well, it'd be tight, but I think he could make it. In 15 minutes? I don't know. I'd have to run it myself. Do it. Do it now. I want to go over there anyhow. All right. You time it, but, but wait till I get out of the lot. Hey, I feel like Mario Andrade. Now, who's going to pay the fine if the cops stop me? They'd better not stop you. 
I hope you're right. We crossed Santa Monica, turned right onto a congested alley, left a narrow street, and east again toward Vine. There were no automatic signals on Jack's route. At the boulevard stops, he paused and nosed at once into honking traffic. Twelve minutes and twenty seconds later, we pulled to a stop in front of the fourplex. Okay, how about that? You're a professional driver, and you barely made it. Ellis was drunk. The streets were wet. No, I can't buy it. It's out of reason, all out of reason. Leonard Ellis was the only one in the whole house who couldn't have done it. Except, of, of course, Miss, uh, Miss Redfern, maybe? Yeah, yeah, that's true. You better not wait, Jack. I want to pick up something from the garage and have no idea how long I'll be. I'll see you tomorrow. Yeah, right. On the walk, Boom Boom, wearing shapeless coveralls and a pith helmet, was using a small hand hoe to replant one of the rain-shattered rose bushes. Ah, Miss Frederick. You see, Sherry, it is foolish to try to raise anything beautiful in this violent city. I loathe that little girl, that Ivy. But she was part of the house, part of the fun. And now she's gone. Joan is in jail. Poor Leonard is in the hospital. Bobby's left. Nothing is the same. Bobby's left? Do you know where he's gone? He called. He want to know about the funeral. He's living with uh, another boy in La Cañada. I want to ask you a favor. I understand Heidi kept a number of magazines, comic books, in the garage. Oh, too many. I, I was going to call the trash man. Well, before you do, I'd like to go through them, if I may. Go chance then, Sherry. As I walked along the root buckle driveway, I could hear Phil practicing. He was home. I paused under the ground floor window to listen. It's not bad, huh? It was Boom Boom's husband, Fred, pushing through the screened back door, coming down the warp steps with a glass of wine in each hand. He looked curiously clownish in wide, baggy pants, a gray undershirt, and loose carpet slippers. And that's how I pegged him, a quiet clown. Compliments to the house, Mr. Blixen. Thank you, Mr. Hayworth. I didn't want either of you to go to any trouble. It's Fred, and you're a guest. And guests are no trouble to Boom Boom. They're, they're the breath of life. Drink it. She makes it. That's very good. Boom Boom says you want to look through the comic books in the garage, huh? Come on, I'll help you. The garage was ramshackle and unfinished, built for the thinner, taller cars of the 20s. It wasn't true that the comic books were piled to the roof, but there must have literally been thousands. Stacked along both side walls and the rear, some loose, some tied in uneven bundles, some torn and old, some recent. Which one you looking for? Star Eyes, April 15th, 1972. Star Eyes, Star Eyes. We tackled it from opposite sides, restacking as we went. Halfway through the first pile, I thought I heard footsteps outside. It sounded like someone paused outside the garage near the heavy raised door, perhaps to watch and listen. Fred, engrossed in the search, hadn't noticed. I swallowed the last of the wine and I drifted toward the entrance. I looked casually down the drive and into the rear yard and along the porch... There was no one there. 
and the guitar practicing had ceased. I'm up to March. April 1st, 8th, April 15th. Here it is. Good, good. Let me see it. Fred, you see these holes in the pages? Now, I say that Heidi cut the words out of this magazine for the threatening letter she sent to Red. But the writer threatened to kill Dan Gladstone. I know Heidi was a weirdo, but she wouldn't have killed nobody. She could drive. She could have been out of the house that night. Mr. Blixen, if you tell the police all this, you know what they're going to think? No, what? Well, if Red figured out that Heidi killed her great love, and if she came out here and found the magazine and put two and two together like you just did, couldn't the police say that was enough motive for her to kill Heidi? Fred Hayworth wasn't a clown. I was. There was no answer I could give him. I just walked away. At 4.30 in the morning, I gave up the idea of sleep, and I stepped onto my balcony to wait for sunrise. At 8.30, I was in Walter Tibbetts' office in research, seated at the chrome desk under the cobwebs, comparing my mutilated copy of Star Eyes with the whole one that he had. So, uh, what do you expect to accomplish with this thing now that I, uh, you know, run it down for you? I'm not sure. I was playing detective. I hoped that I'd be able to help my casting director. You mean that nice kid they arrested it? Uh, Joanna Redford. Yes. Help her. How? Oh, that's too complicated. Just believe me when I say it didn't work. Wait wait a minute there. Uh, What was that? What was what? Let me see your copy. Walter, what are you doing? Pages 17 and 18 are missing from your copy. And they weren't part of the original cutout? No, no, because I, uh, I showed you those parts. Peter, Laurie, and the Bug-Eyed Monsters. What does that mean? And on page 18 as well, um, continuation of same story. Oh, sure, they're a rock music group. And stills of the real Peter, Laurie, on the back. You remember M? Oh, yeah, beautiful. That was a gorgeous performance. Scared the hell out of me. It's been so long. Wasn't M a kidnapper? No, he was a child molester, most despicable criminal in Berlin. Remember the police couldn't find him? Well, finally the uh, underworld took over. They captured him, uh, executed him, I think. Yeah, yeah, they talk about the movie here, uh, in your copy. Well, what's the connection? This wasn't part of the threatening letter that you showed me. No, unless there was another letter. Wait a minute, wait a minute. There's some other places cut out. Let me see it. I'll I'll compare them. Write this down. Go to the $300 cash each and every month for life. I will pay or... That's O-A-R. 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 Police. That's it. Uh, well, no, wait, that's plain enough. Pay $300 cash each and every month for life, or I will go to the police. You want to know something? A person could get killed sending letters like that. A person did. I walked back to my office in a daze. My substitute secretary hadn't come in yet, but my phone was ringing. 
Wixon here. Ames. I called your apartment. You left early. What is it, Sergeant? We found your secretary, Mary McGrath. The bullet, fired at close range, had entered her left eye near the nose, shattered the back of the skull, and spent itself inches short of the kitchen drain board. The brackish odor of death permeated the small house from end to end. According to the deputy coroner, she had been dead for approximately 40 hours. You are listening to Mutual's presentation of The Zero Hour. Your Heart Association presents Stiller and Mira. Honey, I'm going to test you. Mm-hmm. Now, if you have high blood pressure, what are the things you should do? Watch your weight. Right. Follow your doctor's instructions on, uh, on, um... Smoking? Yeah. Uh, take your medicine. Good. Mm, get plenty of rest. Terrific. Hey, honey, let's stay home tonight, huh? <laughs> and uh, exercise, but uh, don't overdo it. Right. We'll stay home tonight, okay? <laughs> okay? Um, yeah, and you got to rest before you get tired, right? Exactly. So we'll stay home tonight, okay? Okay, we'll stay home tonight. Terrific. Hey, wait a minute. What? You don't happen to have high blood pressure, do you? Me? Of course not. I have my checkup at the doctor. I'm terrific. And I made an appointment for you. Why? Because I love you. And only a doctor can tell. Another way to protect your loved ones is to give to the heart fund. Young I may be, but still I'm a man. Just trying to even I'll do what I can to find me a place where I can be the new Navy. You'll get your chance at success. Learn an exciting job and see the world. Call toll-free 800-841-8000 or see your Navy recruiter. Be someone special in the new Navy. Tomorrow at this time, rest your eyes and listen here to this week's continuing study in suspense. Someone's death. I'm Rod Serling, and this is The Zero Hour. Today's episode brought to you in part by V8, Chews Wrigley Chewing Gum and Beats Nut Chewing Tobacco. This is The Zero Hour on Mutual Radio. You have been listening to The Zero Hour, a presentation of the Mutual Broadcasting System in association with Hollywood Radio Theater. Heard every weekday at this time. Rod Serling is your host. Zero Hour is produced and directed by Elliot Lewis. The Hollywood Radio Theater theme was played by Ferranti and Teicher and is now available on United Artists Records and Tapes. Hugh Douglas speaking. Tune in tomorrow and once again, rest your eyes and listen here to the Zero Hour. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System.
The Hollywood Radio Theater theme was played by Ferranti and Teicher and is now available on United Artists Records and Tapes. Hugh Douglas speaking. Tune in tomorrow and once again... Rest your eyes and listen here. To the Zero Hour. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. Thank you.